0: Hey, everybody, this is Bill Town. This is Danielle Town. We're here for the Invested Podcast, which is, well, what do we talk about? We talk about rule one type investing, which is Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger 101, deep value investing, some people call it.
1: Deep value investing. I haven't heard that one before.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like like that.
1: Different than value investing.
0: Yeah. Value investing is more Ben Graham-ish. If you want to read about value investing, the, the textbook is called Security Analysis, and Ben wrote it with his partner uh, in, uh, in the book called David Dodd, and they wrote it in 1934, and it is still available.
1: <laughs> the, book, the book is still available?
0: Oh yeah, not the guys, they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> they're not available for consulting, so you have to read the book. <laughs> um, and it's, it's sort of partner in explaining value investing is called Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham, Hmm. wrote that one in 1949, and it is still in print out
1: there. And so that's the Bible on value value investing.
0: Yep. Value investing is defined by um, looking for very, first off, it starts off completely in the teeth of modern portfolio theory. Uh, Ben Graham didn't believe for a minute that everything was priced at its value. Um, So, his view of the world was that you could find good businesses on sale and and when you did, you bought them really super cheap, which means in single-digit P.E. ratios. That is, you're buying them at some small multiple of their earnings. A lot of them didn't even have earnings and you're buying them the way Ben Graham did, at some small multiple of their cash that they had sitting in the bank. And this is a real Depression era, you know, World War ii era uh, strategy, and the idea is that you buy a whole bunch of businesses that look like they're going to go bankrupt, and you buy like 200 of them. He usually had about 200 at a time, and you expect that some of them will go bankrupt, but some of them won't, and you Wait, make money.
1: He had two, co- he had 200 companies at a time.
0: Yeah, he was not. That's a lot more than the Warren Buffett style. Exactly. So what Buffett learned from Ben Graham was essentially how to value a business, how to understand what the business is worth. And then Charlie Munger came in in the 1950s with Warren after Warren had left Ben Graham and Graham had left investing uh, and retired. And Charlie said, look, Warren, it's better to buy a, a, a wonderful business at a fair price than a fair business at a wonderful price. Because a lot of those fair businesses go broke and you end up losing hmm. a lot of money. And you really have to buy so many of them because you don't know which ones are going to go broke because they're all hanging by a thread. That what we really ought to do is focus on a very small number of companies that are really, really good companies. And that is what made all the difference in the world. So hmm. that's why we don't really call ourselves value investors. You you see value investors that load up with 100 stocks or... 130 stocks. They're just buying everything that gets into single digits. They don't know which ones are really good or which ones are bad So they're just all kind of okay businesses that are struggling like their
1: plan is to just hold them for the long term See what happens. That's sort of the quote-unquote value part of it
0: Well, what Graham did is he would hold them until they would go back up to a a more reasonable price and then he'd sell them and move on Um, And the ones that went broke would go broke then Warren came in and basically said, look, it's a lot better to just sell never. That would, that would be the best <laughs> time to sell is never. And so when you, when you bring into the world of value investing the concept of wonderfulness um, and, the, and, and being reasonable about the price, then you, um, you kind of don't want to sell these companies because they are capable of producing enormous amounts of free cash flow. Which is the very core of what we do. We're looking at buying businesses about the same way you'd buy real estate um, or a farm, and you, and when you do that, you basically look at it and say, "Okay, well, this is a commercial property, or this is a this is an apartment complex, and what I want to do is I want to buy it at a 10 cap rate, which means I'm going to pay, let's say, a million dollars, and if I paid it all in cash." then I would know from doing my research on, the, on this apartment complex that after I pay all of the expenses, all of the uh, maintenance, all of the, you know, I calculate the, the rents that aren't going to get paid and, and the vacancies and repairing the rooms and, and the taxes and the insurance and you do all of that. Now, remember you paid cash, so you don't have a mortgage. So you do all of that and you, and you calculate all those expenses, what I would have left would be about a hundred thousand dollars if I bought that apartment complex at a pretty good price. That'd, that'd be considered a pretty good price, particularly if big chunks of it were vacant, right? That I could re-rent and increase the rents overall. What
1: did you buy it at?
0: I bought it at what's called a ten cap.
1: Okay. 10 cap. How now are you getting? Is? How are you getting to a dollar figure from that? I'm missing the connection between the dollar figure of a hundred thousand and where you started.
0: Gotcha. So I want a 10 cap rate. What what that means is I want a 10% return on my on my capital investment here. Okay. And the assumption is that I paid all cash. There's no mortgage involved. So I bought this building for one million dollars. Oh, a million. A 10% okay. 10% cap rate. So that means a 10% return after all the expenses. And that was 100000 dollars Got it. That would that would be a really and, and particularly if there's let's say 30% of the buildings vacant. That would be considered by probably by somebody like Buffett and it, as being a pretty good deal. I, I know that because he uh, talked extensively about buying an apartment over where you went to school uh, for law school at NYU. And he bought a building there with a 10 cap that was, you know, partly vacant and had one really bad tenant in it. And nobody wanted it because the tenant had sub-market, uh uh lease rents for like nine years into the future. So. Um, the upside of the building was you s- just stick with it long time and you, in- and you ended up with a really great investment. Um, and the worst case is nothing much happens other than what you bought and that means you get 10% a year. So, Yeah, we had
1: talked about that building before.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think
1: the interesting part of that is that the only person who could buy it would be somebody who could carry that building for nine years, which is yeah. hard to do. Like you really got to have some cash behind you to be able to do that.
0: Well, I say yeah, but think about it. I mean, he's carrying the building for 9 years at a 10% return per year.
1: Oh, he's getting a 10% return even with the crappy tenant. Yeah. Well, then that doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't anybody else do that immediately?
0: Well, it's funny how how emotions get involved in markets, you know, and this is the huge flaw of modern portfolio theory that, you know, postulates that the market is priced right all the time, and they don't consider that there's any emotions going on in these markets at all. But the markets are just packed full of emotion. So here you have New York at that particular time going through um, a, a big upheaval in New York real estate that, you know, and and really New York, Wisconsin, there's a major real estate ups and downs.
1: Yeah. And
0: so th- this is particular, this is one of these ups and downs and the savings and loans have collapsed and the government bought a bunch, had to take over a bunch of buildings. And so there's lots of buildings to choose from if you want to get into New York real estate. And uh, when everybody's getting out of a market, it's very hard for most people to look at that market and say, oh, yeah, I just want to jump right in there. Because, of course, if everyone's getting out, you're thinking tomorrow it will go down even farther.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And which so you're is probably down, true. Which is probably true. So you're, you want to wait. So what Warren Buffett does, what I try to do and what I'm trying to teach you is that when something goes on sale and has a big margin of safety, you load up the truck. You don't try to figure out where the bottom might be someday because that'll that'll freeze you. That'll paralyze you from taking action when you really have a good deal on the table. So it what does. I've,
1: it's total FOMO.
0: Do you know what FOMO is? <laughs> FOMO. I don't know FOMO, no. Fear of missing out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that fear runs both ways, right? It's the fear of missing out as something goes up and you, yeah. get, you jump in. And it's the fear of missing out that you're going to be able to buy it at a better price and, and so you stay out. And the solution to that is to know the value of the thing and then when it's on sale at a great price, you buy it and if it's a building, you're done. And if, it keeps, if everything else around you keeps going down, you don't care because you're going to own this for the rest of your life and you know you got it at a good deal because why? Because you're making 10% a year on your money with crummy tenants and vacancies and bad leases and you're still making 10% on your money. So don't be greedy, just pull the trigger and get in there. Okay? Don't and be greedy.
1: That's a good yeah. that's a good little phrase to keep in mind.
0: Yeah, it's sort of like we try to sell into greed and buy into fear and we and to do that we sort of have to avoid both of those emotions taking us over. So we try to just stay rational. And rational says that if this building's in a good location and since it's by Union Square and NYU it's a great location in New York, and since there's a lot of upside eventually nine years down the road when these tenants finally expire, then ten percent a year is a really nice return while you're waiting yeah, you know
1: you know it's an interesting I'm struck by the don't be greedy phrase because on first on first thought it it doesn't apply to that situation like waiting for the price to go down when the market is clearly going down is not really, I would not assign greed to that situation. But at the same time, yeah, if you're avoiding a deal that would actually make you money currently, present day money coming in because you're looking to get a little more, that's greed.
0: And think about like when you bought that um, really nice, condo in Boulder. You came in and you made an offer a little bit below what they were asking.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you
0: know? All right. In a,
1: in a very crazy real estate market.
0: <laughs> All right. And the market was still retaining some of the fear it had from the 2009 financial crisis. And so there weren't a lot of offers on that property. She didn't have somebody you know, standing right next to you offering more.
1: Yeah, that's because it was kind of a strange condo, I think. I'm not sure it was so much about the fear.
0: Yeah, it had three-quarter walls and yeah. other stuff that you kind of liked. Yeah. Um, But the point is that because there was still fear as a legacy from the real estate crisis, You were the only bidder when that came on the market. And this person had to decide. So everybody's dealing with these emotions. You're worried about, you know, paying too much. And she's worried about selling for too little. But she's also worried that there might not be any other buyers for a while. You might be it. Right. Or
1: there could be five right behind me. And all she has to do is wait for two weeks.
0: Yeah. But it was so close to the meltdown. She didn't know for sure. So she sold it to you at a... You know, a pretty decent price for her. She got out at, you know, more or less, you know, a little bit what she above what she paid for it a few years earlier. So she escaped. She was happy that it all came back up and she got out in one piece. And you got in and you felt like you got a pretty good deal. Then, Well, what, to two be years fair, later,
1: I did not think I got a good deal at all. <laughs> I thought I was buying at the top of the market and I just needed a place to live. So... And I else? do not remember at that moment saying to myself, Oh, I got a good deal. I remember saying, like, well, I probably just bought at the top of the market, but what are you gonna do? Cause I don't want to pay rent anymore.
0: But there was that that is exactly what I was gonna gonna suggest, is that you were comparing your net cost of this after tax to your rent. Yeah. And it was pretty comparable.
1: It was, yeah.
0: All right, so there you go. Now, what, a year and a half or two years later?
1: little over two years later. What happened? I sold it at a good profit.
0: And what did you you put it on the market, as I recall, at one price, and then you had bids above that price.
1: Yeah, I had a bid that was actually way above. I mean, okay, so the Colorado real estate market has been insane. And it's the kind of thing... Yeah, it it's, took
0: off it's in the two years since you bought the it's thing. It's
1: been nuts. I mean, it's the kind of thing I've been hearing about this from friends all over the country. I know most places are like this, but Denver in particular, I've heard, has just been absolutely nuts. And, um, and people, you know, show up. People get 10 bids within 24 hours. Everybody waves inspection and waves everything. And, You don't get it unless you write like a lovely handwritten note about how much you love the house and like you plan to live there for your entire life and raise your children in that house. I mean, I have two friends who have written handwritten notes and gotten houses because of that.
0: I mean, it's just, (laughs) it's like that kind of market. Please please sell me your house. And and rents, what are rents doing in Boulder? Are they just going up like crazy, like going up 20% a year and stuff?
1: I haven't really been paying attention. They're going up. I know that but I don't know how much.
0: So I'm gonna suggest that they probably aren't keeping up with the rise in the real estate prices. In other words, that the revenue and net earnings off of a piece of real estate, if you looked at it like a business, are coming down relative to the price you're paying. So in other Maybe. words, if, if you, let's say you bought this at a, you didn't, but let's say you bought it at a 10 cap rate. Um, let's be more reasonable and bolder. You're buying it like, let's say, at a six cap rate. If you'd paid all cash for that building, um, and gotten three thousand dollars a month net, let's say, um, after every expense. You mean if
1: I were renting it out?
0: Yeah, if you're renting oh. it out, let's just say. Okay. And that would be a six percent return on on a five hundred thousand dollar purchase. I'm just doing round numbers here. Okay. Um, and then, as real estate prices rise, but rents don't rise as fast, then what happens is the cap rate goes down. So when you sold it for six hundred and whatever thousand. You, your renter wouldn't have been paying that much more. He would have maybe gone from three thousand to thirty-two hundred or something like that. not even up, you know, ten percent would be huge. So three thousand to thirty-one hundred maybe per month. And here's the thing: this person bought it at a four cap rate. So you bought it at a six, and then they paid even more relative to rent because they really wanted to get into this particular building in Boulder. So that's what I'm saying is that if modern portfolio theory was true, then you wouldn't see these radical changes in the in the in sort of the PE ratios or the cap rates of real estate um, that you see in actual fact. And and what that change is about is about emotion. People start feeling like, oh my gosh, it's all going up. I got to get in. I need to write a note and convince this person that we will love their house, you know, forever and never move and our children will be raised here and, you know, and, and you you're de- that, that's a sign of like desperation. You need to buy this place before you get priced out of the market. And you just drive prices up and up and up and up. Yeah, and, and everyone
1: thing. seems to think it's gonna keep going up. I mean, sure. literally the people who bought my place Looked at me at the closing and said, "Why are you selling this place? It's fantastic!"
0: <laughs> and they—they and, they, they and it was fantastic. Location. I know.
1: I mean, they got a great place. Um, yep. I agree. But, but yeah, it's a you know for various reasons I needed to sell it. But yeah. I think I think the market is probably not done going up. Well, especially in Boulder. I mean, Boulder's a special case. I always say Boulder's a special case because, um. For those of you who don't know about the amazing city of Boulder, they have bought up a ton of space all around um, the town and around the county of Boulder and called it open space and protected it and put a conservation easement on it. So nobody can build on acres and acres and acres of land all around Boulder, which protects the flat irons and it protects the town and it means that, and also the town has a height building restriction, building height restriction. So nobody can build over four stories, which means there's no more space in Boulder. So what's there is there. There's there's some construction going on, and Google is coming in. Google is building a big campus in Boulder that I believe is opening next year, early next year, I think. Um, and something like 1,000 Google employees are going to be there. And that's going to be a big change to rents, I'm sure, because it's going to be all new people. Um,
0: who are making really good money. Who
1: are making good money, right? Yep.
0: So they can afford to pay a higher rent to get the place they want, and that'll drive up prices.
1: Right, and the startup community in Boulder is amazing and um, and is bringing in more and more people. So Boulder is growing and there's no place for it to grow. And that's why real estate is going up in Boulder. Right,
0: right. So, I mean, you've sort of got a market that has a lot of potential upside here. and um, And if we were to look at this like as a ruler-type investor, we would still insist on buying things that would reflect a very very good margin of safety because just as google can come in and bring in a thousand jobs google can go out in ten years and take the thousand jobs absolutely then then all of a sudden everybody's got vacancies and the rents come down or the stock market can crash you know where you grew up up in jackson hole um, the stock market and real estate prices were deeply connected Mm -hmm. so You know the rest of the market's uh, going up, and Jackson Hole's not really doing a whole lot because the stock market's not going up, and then the stock market takes off, and Jackson Hole real estate takes off. Then the stock market crashes, and Jackson real estate crashes. And so, if you're in a market, you you know buying products, you need to understand what your what the dynamics of that industry are, and you need to just be patient because it is definitely possible to buy things even in Boulder, even in Jackson, when the big next fluctuation comes through. And there always are fluctuations. Yeah, you just have to wait for it. Yep, just gotta wait for it. Um, And so this notion that you can kind of figure out the value of a thing I think is just fundamental to buying anything. So we, uh, and we follow Warren Buffett into this, the same thing that Charlie Munger does and Warren does, is we pay a lot of attention to the value of the business. And then we have certain criteria in terms of the free cash flow coming off the business, which in real estate is this money coming off the building after you've paid off all the expenses. This is what you get as the owner of the building. In in uh, the stock world, that's not called rent. That's just called free cash flow. That's what's available to you. Um, to either accelerate the growth of the business, and you can put more money into growing it, or you can just put it in your pocket if you own the whole thing. Hmm. So we want to treat stocks, which are you know supposedly so difficult to understand, we want to treat those things like we're buying a building. You just want to do the same way, you know. We'd we'd like to let's even use the same criteria. We want to buy a stock, let's say, with. Uh, Let's say if the the rents are increasing in our building or something and we get it at a 10 cap rate but our rents are increasing over time essentially we'd have all of our money back out of the building if we didn't have a mortgage or anything we'd have all our money back you know in less than 10 years because the rents are increasing and if we increase them at roughly the you know cost of living or something like that probably we get our money back in 8 years you know well Dang, if you could own an apartment in Boulder, free and clear in eight years, uh, that'd probably be an okay deal.
1: Yeah, that'd be pretty good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we would do that deal. Well, then let's do similar deals when it comes to buying a business, okay? So you just do the same
1: thing. How do you do the same thing on the stock market?
0: Well, the first thing is, to know that you're going to not be able to buy businesses all over the place any more than you're just going to treat real estate in Moline uh, or you know or Dubuque or Milwaukee or Orlando. You're not going to treat it the same as real estate in Boulder. You know real estate in Boulder. You've studied it. You know that Google is coming in with a thousand jobs and Boulder doesn't have you can't build above four stories and they've taken away all the ability of the town to expand by having locked in open space this is something you know about Boulder you don't know anything about Orlando real estate
1: no nothing
0: alright so the first thing is we're not gonna do all the stocks in the market we're just gonna focus on our hometown whatever that is and we've talked about that about the three circles exercise focusing in on what you already know and Just digging down into this and digging a deep canyon, an inch wide and a mile deep. That's like just focusing on Boulder real estate.
1: So starting with what you already have a good sense of, starting with what you already know kind of the basics of just by being around, being like in the world and living your life. Is that what you're saying?
0: That's what I'm saying. And, you know, and what do you do to figure out Boulder real estate? What, What did you do to kind of get an idea about what was going on?
1: What did I do? I uh, read the paper to see what was going on about like, you know, new companies coming in and stuff. And I talked to professionals. I talked to real estate professionals. They'll tell you what's going on.
0: Cool. Well, if we wanted to do the same thing, exactly. Let's say we pick a company like we were playing around with Chipotle grill last week. Let's let's come back to Chipotle. So I'd say you did some other things, too, with Boulder. First off, you live there.
1: Well, yeah, but you can live somewhere and really pay zero attention to the real estate market.
0: Oh, true, sure. But but I would add living there as part of what, you know.
1: Yeah, you get a sense for it, I guess.
0: Sure, I'll give you that one. So that would be like, okay, I eat burritos at Chipotle.
1: Right, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So now I'm kind of living there. And then I'm going to read the news. So, man, I can Google Chipotle Mexican Grill news And all kinds of news will come up on Chipotle.
1: Yeah.
0: Lots of stuff. Yeah. So then I'm just going to settle down and do what good investors all do, which is read a lot of stuff.
1: And that would be talking to the experts, right?
0: Not yet. Not yet? No, I'm going to say that that's not yet talking to the experts per se. I would say that talking to the experts is a really specific kind of news um, or a specific kind of reading. And I would say that that would be more like looking at what other experts, you know, real estate agents, you know, we're not going to trust them entirely, but they certainly have got more experience than we do about this particular business or about Boulder real estate. So those experts would would be in in our world called analysts. And if you were to go to a website called SeekingAlpha.com, it's a free website and uh, you just you know create an email login, and they have about three thousand analysts who write about their specific expertise companies, and put it on there for free.
1: Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking of when when you said talk to the experts. Um, with Seeking Alpha, which you introduced me to this weekend, and has tons of information and is free. It's great. Yeah, it's free. <laughs> Yay internet.
0: Yay internet. So those guys make their money on Seeking Alpha by having advertising. And then they, of course, have the professional upgrade and you can get... Oh, them.
1: I'm sure they and do.
0: And all that stuff. I have not signed up for the professional upgrade. And you don't need it. The professional upgrade is cool, but only if you're a day trader and you're trying to scalp the market and all this. But the the main pile of stuff they do is for the kind of investor that I am. The predominantly an investor who's looking at the difference between price and value. And to show you how... The, how many people really don't believe in modern portfolio theory? That website has something like 750,000 investors on it. Hmm. Reading that data. So, what would be the point of reading analysis about a company if, you know, price and value are the same thing and it's a 50-50 coin toss, whether it goes up or down, right? So you just you just understand there's a lot of people out there like us who are looking for information about a business to figure out if it's really on sale or if it's too pricey. So
1: yeah, I would... and I was impressed with the quality of the articles. I I kind of didn't expect much, you know. You get like anonymous internet people writing things, and you kind of think, eh, whatever. Who's that? I don't know um, how much I can really <laughs> put stock in what they're saying, and if my if it's really worth my time to even read it. But I read through a bunch of them. And um, and it's people who are in the industry who are professionals and they will put down their company name or their fund name and um, and put their name on the line out there. So they're trying to make it good. I mean, obviously, still read a bunch of different things so that you can get the, co- the point and the counterpoint. But uh, but I was impressed with the style of writing and the content.
0: Well, one of the great joys about the world we live in is that um, people try to, to improve the quality of their life by moving up in the world. And what this particular website does is allow someone who may not have gone to Harvard Business School, who may not know everybody, who's, whose friends aren't rich and run hedge funds and, and will hire him uh, or her, what they're doing is they're basically a lot of these guys are either working as an analyst for a company and they're they're basically pumping the, their portfolio, and you have to be aware of that, or they're they're sort of doing a job interview on by putting these articles out once a month or once every couple of weeks. If the articles are really good and after a year or so, um, a lot of people are following you, then it may very be possible that a hedge fund would pick you up as an analyst and son of a gun. You've just come out of nowhere at 23 years old and you're working for the big guys. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I mean, you're thinking about it. And that's why they have 3000 people on there and the, the people who run Seeking Alpha have done a very good job of vetting their writers. They, they, oh, do they vet them? Yeah, oh, yeah. You can't oh, really? Just oh, the, I didn't know that part. Okay. To,
1: well, yeah. that explains yeah. the high quality then. I thought that that was pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> that they were just getting random internet submissions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, you know how that goes. That, that goes. No, too. it does not go well. That's my point. Not go well, yeah, exactly. Now, one more thing about the Seeking Alpha articles that are really fun, um, which is not super monitored. You know, they, they take out uh, the trolls and so on. But the comments below the articles, hmm. I always read. Um, you'll see 40, 50, 60 comments below a well written article. Uh, the comments are usually fairly terse to the point um, expressing either agreement or the opposite point of view, point, counterpoint, is going on in the comments as well. And I find that really valuable. There's some you know, investors that have money on the line who are talking about what's going on in their heads. Um, very, very helpful stuff right there. So that's- So Seeking you know, Alpha, call us, because we clearly like your website. <laughs> 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 We're putting it out there for free. <laughs> it's a it's an interesting thing. They do call me and they they say, Look, how about writing this is what they'll do too, is they'll they'll go to investors that they um that they know are out there and they'll say, How about writing your opinion out here and putting in an analysis? And I so far I haven't done it because it's like the only time I really wanna write about what uh how great a company is that I you know is after I have bought all of it I want and it's already gone back up. Yeah. And which means it's sort of useless to everybody on Seeking Alpha. And I don't really want to write about it, given my investing style, until I own as much of it as I can possibly own. And I'm never really quite sure what that number is. is If it keeps going (laughs) down, it keeps getting bigger. (laughs) So um, I just haven't done it yet. so I kind of reserve that for the students, you know, like like I taught this weekend, you know.
1: And for the invested podcast?
0: And for the invested podcast, and you went to the class.
1: Yeah, I did. So the reason I now know about seeking alpha, although I have to say I've heard about it from you lots of times and just never paid any attention, but um I went to the story of story of our lives, right? So I went to your workshop
0: that you guys do—the Rule One Workshop, the weekend free workshop. Well, it's free. It's free to some people who get scholarships. It was certainly free to you. It was free to me. That's um, But we, you know, we charge uh, around the world. We've charged as much as five thousand dollars for the three-day workshop. Oh. But we we do scholarships on it, and you can get one, or you can get into it through one of our joint venture partners. Um with additional classes and we do, we do different things that just depending on kind of how much you want to come to it um, we'll get you in there if we possibly can. so yeah we have, okay. have people in there who had paid to be there and people in there who are on scholarship and then there's you well yeah, <laughs> you did a really nice job of staying completely incognito
1: yeah i didn't I didn't want to make a big deal because then i I knew people would want to chat about companies and research and what I was doing. And frankly, I'm not doing much and I don't know anything about companies or research except for exactly what you guys have heard on this podcast. And so
0: <laughs> there's typically about 200 people in the class. And, I, and ever since we started the podcast, we always ask everybody, you know, are you listening to the podcast? And I think it looked like about 25% or 30% of the people in that class are fans. Look, well, podcast,
1: yeah. I, I didn't go totally incognito because people kept on saying, Wait a second, I know that voice, and I'd be like, <laughs> What? That's a weird thing to say. And <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Wow. Um, so it's like
0: your like radio star, and nobody knows who it is. Oh, you know,
1: totally. Video killing us, except now we're back. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, I haven't. I've known you've been doing it. I haven't gone a little bit on purpose because I wanted to learn during our podcast so that everyone would, you know, hear as I go along, basically. But then I thought, OK, fine, I'll finally go to this thing and see what on earth you guys are doing. And it was great. Like, I was so pleasantly surprised at how good it was.
0: I, I don't am know so if- pleasantly surprised you thought it was good. I thought you were going to maybe not enjoy it all or something. I'd I'd look at you in the crowd and you'd have a sort of neutral look on your face. and
1: That was was my confusion face. I Ah. felt very confused a lot of Ah. the time. Ah. And I was sitting there thinking like, what the hell are they talking about? And trying to figure it out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But luckily... (laughs) That That doesn't sound good.
1: Well, I think... You give out so much information. I mean, it was just it was just a crazy amount of information in three days. I couldn't believe it. All right.
0: I think it's time to go. All right. All right. Let's go play.
1: All right. Bye, everybody.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to Invested, the Rule One podcast. If you like this episode, you can always get our show notes and more details and links to the resources we discussed at investedpodcast.com. Also, as long as you're online, head on over to investedpodcast.com slash workshop for details on an upcoming three-day live workshop that I'm hosting. All you gotta do to go is enter the special podcast code stockpile, that's S-T-O-C-K-P-I-L-E, stockpile, into the application form, and you guys can attend for free So everything discussed on this show is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it is not to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only. And I really do hope you've enjoyed it. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.